Hello, everyone. Happy New Year again, and welcome to the George Wu Show. Today, we're in a very special setting. I would say maybe the first in-person recording we've had on the show today. We have, you know, our co-host Soham, guest host Matt, today with us together on a Sunday. So really excited to be back in person and want to see how this show comes out. Yeah, it'll be exciting. Yeah, yes. Matt, anything new happening in your world? Happening new in my world. There's lots of stuff happening. It seems like the world of crypto is all over the place these days. I don't know, like... SBF's still in jail. Oh, I guess he's in house arrest, isn't he? House arrest, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What's like the newest on him? He's just kind of chilling in house arrest, waiting for his court date. I heard there was a reporter that like went to his house and like did, yeah. a, did a mini recording. He pleaded not guilty oh, yeah. uh, recently. And I think now his defense that the wrongdoing of I, what I had is because I was negligent. I wasn't really committing any financial fraud. I wasn't moving money from customer accounts to yeah. here. So that's the, the update. And I think the bankruptcy court has found $5 billion of liquid assets from mm. FTX. And I think there's four more billion that they potentially own. So it comes on to nine billion. And I don't think people people exactly know how much assets are missing actually right now. So that's the mm. latest updates. Yeah, well it's bizarre too, because you know, how can you make the argument that I wasn't trying to be fraudulent with user funds when it's like at the end of the day as an exchange, it's supposed to be back your one to one each asset. And so I just don't know how you can make that claim. Okay, so you have like you have these other guys. You've got you know Coinbase, you've got BlockFi, you've got Nexo. They have a legitimate standing to say, okay, well actually it's okay because this is in our terms of service and we're literally lending out the funds. And so you know obviously if there's no lender of last resort, well what are you expecting to happen? I mean that actually like leads us in a little bit to Celsius and what's going on. I think Celsius, as you guys probably know, is like kind of a similar competitor to BlockFi and Nexo and, you know, Lenzo user funds. Oh, you know, you get 6% yield on your Bitcoin. And then the judge ruled that Celsius owns the funds, <laughs> right? Which was in their terms of service. Okay. So Celsius owns the customer funds. Pretty much. Yeah. Like I remember reading the terms of service a while ago, like basically in the event of like something going wrong with Celsius, Celsius owns the user funds. And so they can decide how those are distributed in the case of a massive loss or a lender defaulting. And so basically that just shows Celsius is even worse than BlockFi and even worse than, I don't know if it's worse than Nexo. Um, I'm surprised Nexo is still standing, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, what is Nexo? Nexo again? Oh, yeah. Nexo is the same thing. It's a platform for being able to earn yield on your Bitcoin or crypto or USDC. And so everyone thought if some, someone was going to go down, it was going to be like Celsius and Nexo. They ended up being BlockFi and Celsius. Okay. And so Nexo is still going. There's like, there's podcasts out there that are still getting sponsorships from Nexo. Oh, really? Maybe you don't think that stuff, explain exactly what happened with Celsius, like for like their breakdown and everything like that as well. Yeah. My understanding is, I don't know the exact details of who they lent to, but it doesn't matter who you lent to in this yeah. case in the last year, you probably got it wrong. So, you know, either they lent out the 3AC or they lent out to Genesis. And then what happened was, I think 3AC lost a significant amount of money in the uh, Luna Terra collapse when I mean, it went from, you know, if you had $100 in Luna, you went from having $100 to one cent. And uh-huh. so that works out really well. <laughs> and then, so they put money into there. Because the thing is, like, as a lending business, like, how are you making your returns, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so they're just looking for whatever yield opportunity they can, anywhere as they can find it. Luna's like, hey, you know, guaranteed yield, stable coin, 20% APY. It's like, wow, well that, that seems like a sure thing. So, you know, they put a bunch of capital in there. They fall down. Then all the people who are lending the 3AC, well, they fall down too because now that, you know, crypto deposits aren't looking proper. So that's what happened with Celsius. And then a similar thing happened with BlockFi where I believe they lent out the 3AC as well. Okay. And then there's the whole thing right now with the whole Genesis and the EARN program at Gemini, the Winklevoss twins. Basically, there's like a billion dollars like outstanding. Really? Yeah, and when the, this is really weird too because Genesis is associated with GBTC, which is the big what do you call it? It's not an ETF, but it's as close to an ETF as you oh, can yeah, get. Oh yeah, they use an ETF, I think. But they didn't approve an ETF, did they? I think there wasn't. I think ETF. ETFs yeah. got approved in Canada, but I don't think they got approved in the states. I see. Yeah. And so it's like basically like a stock, essentially. Okay. So it's supposed to follow Bitcoin as much as possible. And there was always a big like kind of discrepancy between the Bitcoin price and GBTC, and so it's really weird what's going on with that because what might happen is Gemini's earn program. So Gemini was doing the same thing as Nexus, Celsius, and BlockFi, where people could go put their Bitcoin in or crypto and they could earn yield on it. But then they ran into the same problem where where now like they lent the money out to Genesis and now Genesis, you know, doesn't have the capital. Yeah, it's considering bankruptcy. Exactly, yeah. And then they're associated with DCG, which is associated with GBDC. And so now the question is, are they going to need to unwind 
all the GBDCs are in there. So like one or two options. It's kind of part of a larger company. So this company, what they do is they borrow from various folks and then they also run GBDC. And so now the question is, okay, well, so their lending program where they were borrowing and making yield from it, yeah. well, they finally bucked up there. Yeah. But then now they also have this other thing. And so now do they just need to dissolve the entire company? So then this GBDC piece, they can they have one or two options. They can either unwind it where they literally sell off all the Bitcoin, oh. right? And then you know, Bitcoin go to 10K. Uh, <laughs> or I think that they have a new clause where they might just like allow like the folks to withdraw like what's in there. So that's probably preferable for the Bitcoin market. So, yeah. mm-hmm. But just craziness continuing. Oh, oh, and then it gets worse. We have Sendwire. 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 Like wire.com, W-Y-R-E.com. Oh, yeah. They tweeted the other day. They're like, oh, hey, everybody. We're putting some limits in place. You can only withdraw 90% of your funds on the site. And it's like, oh, we're doing this in the interest of our community. It's like, what? <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> like, okay. Like, like, okay, so, so, so you guys are 90% solvent is what you're telling me, right? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, but let our viewers know what Wire was. I know, mm-hmm. I know Wire is like a crypto mm-hmm. API thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's a crypto API. It's basically just like an on-ramp to crypto. So it's the same thing of, oh, you go to Coinbase, you go to this other site, and you just buy Bitcoin. But what was cool about it is you could integrate it into your website. Say like you're... Um, like a decentralized application and you wanted to create a website and then you want to put a widget on there that says, hey, buy Bitcoin, you know? <laughs> you could like directly integrate with Wire and then like oh. the person would, yeah, yeah. If you just click the buy, like click the buy button there, you'd buy the crypto and then it would go directly to your like your MetaMask wallet or whatever wallet you have. Oh, wow. And then you could go use that app. So that's like a much better onboarding experience because like, oh, a new user finds out about, oh, whatever financial application yeah. and then they can directly onboard into it, like from USD and get some USDC and they can start using it. So I think that was their major use case. And they built some really great APIs. They're about to be bought out, actually, like... By Bolt, I think. Bolt.com. Was it? Was it Bolt? Yeah, it was Bolt. Interesting. Bolt, yeah. Which is um, unrelated at all. It's like freaking one-click checkout site. Mm-hmm. One-click checkout app that's valued at, uh, I think, what, 16 or 20 billion? Well, now it's probably like worth 10% of that. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not less. But yeah, it was Series F. They were raising Series F and then mm. they announced a buyout. Wow. And then they abandoned it. They abandoned it. Yeah, exactly. They abandoned it. So that's what happened. Well, well that's pretty brutal for them. It's like they're about to be bought out and then it falls through. It falls apart. And now they're looking at a scandal. So it's like... I guess what happens because like when you express interest to buy a company out, like remember what happened with like Elon on Twitter, like... There's always like legal ramifications. Like, did they have to pay any kind of premium for it or anything like that? I feel like half the time with acquisitions, it's like you want to be able to look at the books. Yeah. And then yeah. I don't know, maybe the books weren't looking too good, and then they didn't <laughs> want to touch it. So yeah. I think it's just part of the tech downturn. Mm-hmm. Bolt's valuation yeah. got halved. I, I don't know how much it is now. I, I would say ten percent, probably less than that now. So their new CEO just doesn't. It's like he came on board. He's like, okay, what is this acquisition going on? Yeah. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So they just abandoned it. And I think it was a mutual thing. I think they both sent a press release mutually abandoned the deal. Interesting. I don't think there's any clause to it. Probably just not our, our letter of intent. Probably mm-hmm. most of it. Yeah, because it probably was like pending due diligence. And then they did do due, due diligence and they decided not to go. Yeah. Which happens all the time. Yeah, but so. like did Wire hold any customer assets on the platform? Like I, I was thinking maybe it was empowering some other apps. But it's actually the money goes into Wire. Yeah, They're yeah. holding all the customer assets. Exactly. Well, Wire has custody. But then the question here is like, why Why are they in a situation where they're only allowing withdrawals of 90%? Like, if you're looking at this, like, skeptically, okay, you can look at this from two perspectives. You can say, oh, okay, like, from the perspective, okay, Wire generally does the right thing. Well, maybe it's they're just having some issues with their cold wallet and, like, moving funds around there. And so they don't want to create, like, a mass panic or whatever it is. If you're looking more skeptically, it's like, Hmm. You know, if you're a crypto exchange and you've got some, you've got a lot of user funds and, yeah. you know, people probably aren't going to withdraw at all. Right. You know, you can make a little money on the side by lending out to this person or that person. Right. So, but they're a U.S. company. They're supposed to be regulated. They're supposed to hold mm-hmm. assets one to one. So was FTX U.S. Uh, they didn't do that. <laughs> that was a big right. joke. Right. right. So, you know, if you're, being sinister, maybe, maybe that's what they did, right? It doesn't take that. Like human psychology, you got, hey, I have a huge, I have a billion dollars. 95% of it's never going to be withdrawn. I can play around with 5% of it, 10% of it. You know, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. Right. And I mean, worth mentioning like Binance and uh, so on. And I were talking about it on our last show about mm-hmm. Binance. So Binance like was going through something, a lot of withdrawals. I think what, 7 billion, 8 billion mm-hmm. withdrawals. 
and people were speculating is they going to go out of business yeah. at some point. Yeah, so what was your thought about I, finance? I think in general, like um, a lot of these companies, as much as like you have to like sometimes we use that one like exit their money. If you have a bank run this big, like companies can kind of stop being a going concern, right? So when like you have a liquidity crisis, I kind of understand from their point of view as well. Just like let's put something in place so that users kind of like know, hey, we're okay right now, but like you can't take away all of your money. Like the whole company will go down. We can't give anyone the money then. Yeah. Right. Because like I mean, like finding out about like Celsius, like like creditors might get the money first, and then like the users itself also won't get the money. So there's also like some points of views where like okay. Maybe they're also trying to protect like user interests for things like this as well. I don't know. I would push back on that because I feel like I feel like if you're running your exchange properly, then like you should be able to tell your users, hey, you can withdraw. Like those should be two totally separate things. Usually, like as a company, you take you know most are venture capital backed, right? And so mm-hmm. they take whatever capital. So those two things should be separate. What is the capital of the company? And the other is this is the accounting record for the users, right? It's like take PayPal as an example. When they were starting up, you know, their lawyers told them in the beginning, you know, you've got your money that you've raised and you've got this money, which is user account, like user okay. money that, yeah. that's been deposited. If you're starting to run out of money, like as you're creating this company, do not go into the user funds. That is, do not pass go, go straight to jail, right? <laughs> and, and so like, if that's what it's like for PayPal, that's probably what it should be for like crypto exchanges. Yeah. I think that's where it should be going towards. But like, obviously, like right now, we just don't have enough regulation in the space. And I really do hope we get like some regulation from this whole FDIs yeah. thing. There's not, not even KYC, know your customer checks for, um, for those crypto exchanges. Oh. For taking customer deposits, right? There is for Binance. Like, oh, Binance is totally offshore too, right? So there's, yeah, so, so they're, yeah, like they're in Alta, I think they are. <laughs> yeah. Blockchain Island. That's very like loose regulation. I always wondered myself, like as a, as a Bitcoiner, is it like regulation that's going to solve this or just like actually getting people to self-custody their stuff because these guys are always going to mess up. But but at the same time, you know, like for the funds that users do use or like the trading that occurs, it's like you're not going to have trading, at least right now, you're not going to have trading that occurs directly on chain. Like mm-hmm. we're getting there. We're building. That's what, that's what we're yeah. trying to build. We're trying to build stuff to allow for that to happen, but it's not going to happen immediately. And so you, you at the moment, you still need to have trading that occurs on a centralized exchange and for those ones i think you need to have like these practices that are being followed like you know have it backed one to one but even if you do like um, an audit like even if you have it regulated and you do an audit and then you check oh are the assets backed one to one well proof of reserves does not mean proof of liabilities right and so what are the liabilities of each of these exchanges so uh, I don't know. It's a hard problem. And, and the other thing, too, is if you put too much regulation in place, it's just going to push all these guys to go offshore. Like, that's why Binance is offshore, right? They have, like, a different one for Binance US versus Binance International, right? That, and the majority of the liquidity is in Binance International. So then as a trader, there's traders in the US that are probably setting up, like, an entity in the Cayman Islands or elsewhere to be able to just be able to trade on Binance, for God's sake, to get through the KYC requirements. Yeah. So it's like, well, that doesn't really solve the problem. Yeah. And the question people were asking was uh, Binance liabilities. I think yeah. that was what we were discussing uh-huh. the other the other day. Like no one actually knows what's the liability for Binance. And I think the CEO was asked on CNBC about it <laughs> and he was dodging the question about the liability. Uh-huh. So like is that sketchy if you're a Binance user or you're for something in the infinite ecosystem? Like would you find that to be like really concerning? I think I know the interview you're talking about. They're like, Oh, are you guys gonna be able to deal with like a trillion dollars, whatever, right? Yeah. I think they, they actually like split that at a different point, whereas they were actually talking about if there were fines of $2 billion, basically. Mm, right. And he said, I'll let the lawyers handle that, is what he said, <laughs> right? <laughs> there was another question about the liabilities, like why Binance is not doing any financial audits, why it's not releasing any audits. And I think the CEO was saying basically like the uh, we are offshore and we're very different. It's very difficult for the big four mm-hmm. to audit mm-hmm. a crypto firm, but people are saying, okay, Coinbase it's a crypto firm, it's a crypto exchange, and it's being audited properly. That's true. And there was another thing, I think the FTT tokens, they have held from, I think SBF was trying to buy out Binance yeah. from their stakes in FTX, so they paid in FTT token. Yeah. So they don't even know, like, they don't even know it's there. They're like, oh, it's probably in our books somewhere. Like, it's probably some hundreds of millions. Mm. It's, it's worth significantly less than what it was before. Yeah. So, like, people are just like, okay, how did he not even know there was a couple hundred million dollars sitting somewhere? How did uh, CZ not know about, not know about the FTT tokens on the books? So apparently, there's the, he said that we just forgot about it. 
It's why oh, he really? said that. That, That's what he that's said. That's why he said we just What the hell? <laughs> that's so sketch. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. The cash out at the right time. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, that's crazy. It, I don't know. It's like you can look at it one of two ways. Either like they've made so much money from the damn thing that they're fine, right? Like mm-hmm. finance is fine because they made so much damn money from the damn exchange mm-hmm. and they've got so much money in reserve. They're not even worried. Or like they don't have enough and they've they've managed to continue the charade and they pulled through. Right. So I don't know. We no, we'll never know which one it is because like who's who's going to be able to look at the books? Yeah. Unless you're even if you're working like if you work at Binance, like that's probably held like very very, like, secret. very secretly. Yeah. yeah. What's your takes on? In general, I just think overall, like I think the whole crypto space is becoming this. People are putting too much money into it without being educated on the tool itself. I agree. Yeah. That's the main reason why like I push for regulation, but then I, I can see the problem with like then like the companies itself get pushed offshore. I think at one point people just need to get more and more educated on what the crypto space is, stuff like that. Because if you're seeing terms conditions where like Celsius and like other companies, they don't even have to give like their deposits back to the people that put their money in. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Like they the lenders get it first, which is just like another big concern. Like I get like I also don't read the terms and conditions for most things. I think yeah, none right. of us do. But yeah, it's just really concerning the fact is that majority of these companies, you just kinda assume anything that's kind of big is safe. But it seems like in the crypto market that's not the case at all. Yeah. Which is Concerning, yeah. even for Binance. Yeah. Is that even the case for, like, the traditional system? Right? Like, like, like okay, I like, oh, what is the reserve ratio of, like, to, like X Bank, like, TD Bank, or, like, Ameritrade, or, like, what, like choose a bank, mm-hmm. Chase Bank. Well, okay, what's the reserve ratio, you know? But they're, the thing is, they're, they're, they have a lender of last resort. Yeah. Right? So, like, oh, okay, well, well, you can probably be sure that you have a lender of last resort, which is the Fed, and which is the, the central bank, and they're going to back it in case anything happens. Mm-hmm. That's the, I, I guess that's the only difference, right? It's like they're both playing fast and loose. It's just yeah. one of them has, has a lender of last resort at the end yeah. of the day. And if you look at Lehman Brothers, it's, it's what happened, right? Like mm-hmm. It went bankrupt without anyone bailing it out. Mm-hmm. So that was like, if you're a customer of Lehman Brothers in, in 08, then you would have been wiped out. Yeah. It's, it's like there's gaping holes in crypto. But there's also gaping holes in traditional finance, exactly. so yeah. I don't know. I think people are not seeing that exactly. Mm-hmm. So, no. like, yeah, what do you think, Son? No, I just think that's a good point. Yeah, I agree. The fact is, I just think in general, like having that lender of last resort is a very important concept that we have because that kind of like gives any kind of consumers like safety about the fact. Okay, if I put my money in here, I know like I'll be insured. Like even like in Canada, like um, the CDIC insures all of your deposit up to a hundred thousand dollars, right? Yeah, with no charge to you. Like any of the big banks will give you that much yeah. money back. Even if like the entire bank does go down. So we have like all these like other um fail safe setup. The thing is like crypto's playing fast and loose without any fail safe setup in the background. Yeah. Like that infrastructure hasn't really been built into crypto yet. So the consumers that go into it should be a lot more educated. But then we just saw like in 2020 because of how fast it was growing, yeah. everyone just went into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The insurance is a huge piece unless you have like I mean in the US you have FDIC insurance, which covers up to two fifty thousand. But the question is like, what if you have a million? Exactly. And yeah. the bank goes down. So you have 250000 What happened to the rest of your money? I mean, no one's apparently insuring up to that, right? I think people are recommending putting your money into like a brokerage mm. because brokerage is probably like one to one. Although I checked, it's also 250 k So I'm really confused about like, okay, where are you going to put your money where it's really safe? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, and none of this accounts for like a, a scenario where the people lose faith in like the underlying currency, right? Like if you have like hyperinflation that occurs, mm-hmm. well, good luck with 100K, <laughs> yeah. right? Like exactly. that's, that's not even worth that much if, if inflation occurs. And so in the case of, you know, the people lose faith in the underlying currency, well, you have a lot of problems that occur. So mm-hmm. even like in traditional finance, we're not ready for like an apocalyptic yeah. like, scenario. So yeah. yeah, no, I think we were talking about this like um, last week too, just like Canada, USA, we have a lot of fiat currency that isn't really back thing. You know, yeah. China, China like, I think they're trying to make a push to become like the reserve currency. They're having conversation about like we're backing it by gold. Um, mm-hmm. The Petro one, they were talking about like, yeah, we'll, we'll back it up by gold. Yeah, and Saudi Arabia is considering mm-hmm. having Chinese yuan as like a reserve currency. Mm-hmm. That's really? going to change things. Yeah. yeah, and so like that right there, it's kind of like um, then like as consumers in like yeah, Canada, USA, and if like the government just keeps printing money, you might just want to like switch over like your currency itself to something that's actually backed by something tangible like gold or just. Yeah. And something like that as well, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's almost like a reversal. Like, hey, like fiat currency has been an experiment for 50 years. Mm-hmm. And we used to have a gold back system. And yeah. there might be a return to that. Mm-hmm. So The problem I just think is the fact is that uh, when you have just a pure fiat uh, currency, you have like politicians, maybe some of them aren't as educated in finance, stuff like that either. 
you give them basically a blank check. And like politicians yeah. are like incentivized like in the short term, not long term, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the overall like uh, countries like a uh, greater good in ten years, they don't care. They want to be reelected uh, during midterms, and then for like whenever like they actually have to get reelected within four years. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I just remember remind you just remind me something. So I I was remember yesterday reading the news about the U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is saying that the U.S. will default by June if it doesn't increase the debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. So like I was like, what's going on? And then they're changing accounting standards. To play with it for the time being, I was like, "What's going on? Like, what's what's happening?" It's like, so what's your take on that? Probably heard of it, right? A little bit, yeah. Like, I mean, as an accountant, that's just funny because I think the old joke is, um, you ask a lawyer, "Oh, what is this?" They'll say, it "Depends." You ask, "What do you think it is?" They'll say, "It depends." You ask an accountant, they'll ask you, "Oh, how much do you want it to be?" So, like, yeah, accounting standards can change to whatever you want it to be. Yeah. It's an art, basically, which kind of is a concern for a lot of the companies you invest in. But yeah, it becomes really interesting because. Just because the government gets so much like control over the information they lent out, and then like if they're changing specific standards to show a more healthy company, that's not really good. Because your balance sheet is your um, financial health as like a country. Yeah. For example, if your doctor just said uh, like tweak your uh, report, said oh yeah, blood's fine. Like um, you know, like our new <laughs> like, standard. So. <laughs> <laughs> our new standard is like oh yeah, this much is completely fine. Like, you know, like yeah, you'll live like for another five years. That's exactly what we want. And yeah. like so, that becomes a big concern if like uh. Your incentive is just to get reelected for next term, not really yeah. overall, like keeping like the financial health care. Yeah, and by defaulting, I'm assuming it's not going to default by June. They're going to change raise the debt ceiling, yeah. or they're going to do something else with it. But like, what does that entail? Like, it's going to default in June. The fact that it might go default, the United States might go default in June. Like, what does that entail to you? So, yeah, I don't think there's like any circumstance where the U.S. can go default right now. But I do agree. With the fact is that we had printed so much money that that is becoming part of the conversation, just because. The supply of money has increased so much. That thing has to um, increase a certain amount to be able like keep the market swelling the way it was like a couple of years ago too, right? Because like consumers like habits became very formed during 2020 and 2021. Mm-hmm. So like that's kind of like a thing that has to change. So more than anything else, I just think that the interest rate. I understand like uh, you know Jerome Powell, so we're not gonna um, decrease it, and like I think that's like the right move. And like yeah, I would also like kind of push maybe like a little bit of increase still is healthy, even though. In the short term, the economy is going to feel a big burst. I think overall, the amount of money that's been like pushed in, I think people need to be incentivized to lend out their money yeah. and not want to borrow money. Right, Matt. What does it tell you this whole news about the U.S. Treasury Secretary? And the- well, I just wonder, like, how long can they keep this going? You know, it just seems to me like they've been playing fast and loose with kind of new monetary policy mm-hmm. and since 1971. The convertibility of gold and fiat was destroyed, and so now it's not backed by anything. And they've never played around with kind of a system like this, and so we saw it collapse in two thousand and eight, you know, for a particular reason. And so, how long can they keep the charade going, and how long can they keep what they're doing going in terms of, hey, we're going to just keep changing monetary policy, we're going to keep inflating the currency. Oh, now we're going to pull back. At what point does the U.S. currency stop being the world reserve currency, and the policies that they're putting in place just、mm-hmm. stop? Working,、yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. And, and will the debt level be the last nail in the coffin, or like any thoughts on? Yeah, I think debt level. The biggest part of that coffin is whenever China wants to say we want our money, because USA has their biggest debt is to China, and since、okay. China's already making a push to start、yeah. like becoming like the number one like economy in the world,、mm-hmm. like that is going to be when like I think like all the dominoes start falling because USA is not going to be able to pay it back. There's going to have to be some kind of negotiation on the table. Oh yeah, well, wasn't there like an auction for treasury bills and no one, no one bid on it? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, oh, we have to close the auction early, people. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh man. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe they can just print more money, but then inflation will go. I think like the answer has been print money for so long. Like it's the wrong answer because yeah, hyperinflation is becoming a genuine possibility. Like, you know, like people just think oh, because we're in, like one of the biggest economies in the world. That that's not a concern for our countries. It's only going to be for like small countries. But no, like hyperinflation can happen anywhere. If we have too much money in the system,、yeah. like at this point, would you rather have like um five dollars, or would you rather have like an actual tangible piece of something that you know will probably stay like worth the same in terms of value? So that means that it's probably worth ten dollars in today's like the amount of money out there, right? Yeah. So yeah, well, well, like look look through history. Like the Roman Empire was the equivalent of the USA, you know,、uh, thousands of years ago. And what happens? You know, they start playing flat fast. Like they started out and they had. 
kind of proper currency where they were printing it using actual silver. Mm-hmm. And that's how you, you know it was actually backed because there was a certain amount of silver content in each coin. And then they start reducing that over time because they needed to be able to keep the money supply going. And then that just devalued the currency over time. And then obviously you had an eventual collapse of the Roman Empire and it was no longer the world reserve currency. Mm-hmm. And you've had, you know, over the years, the world reserve currencies have usually been around for about 100 years. So you had... I think Portugal and then Spain and then you have the British pound and now you have the USD and Mm -hmm. each of those usually lasts a hundred years. USD has been around for, I think what, 120 years. So, you know, how much time until that it's no longer the world reserve currency, how much longer do they have? Right. Cause, cause eventually every empire falls, falls, right. Mm -hmm. So I think like right now we're seeing like the tides really push against the USA just because USA is also kind of like isolating itself for almost no reason. Like, See, Russia, China, and Saudi, they probably traditionally, we talked about that last week, George, right? Mm-hmm. The three of them probably traditionally wouldn't really be like close to each other, but like they're starting to make deals with each other mm-hmm. just for that reason because USA started like pushing all three of them away for different reasons, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you're also seeing other countries on like uh, the eastern side, like we're talking about with India as well. Like India was like trading with Russia and then the like, USA probably called them out. Yeah. And things like that is what's going to end up affecting things if like things ever escalate towards like a trade war and things like that because I don't. Obviously, I don't think this war would ever happen like with actual people. Like, it would only be like economic. Yeah. But yeah, like allies are starting to form away from the USA because yeah. people are seeing, yeah, USA is not like the only dominant power anymore. Yeah, US is very invested in the Russia-Ukraine war as well. Mm-hmm. I think that alienated itself more from other countries like China, etc. Like, I mean, China went unscratched on this one, mm-hmm. on this war. Like, they, they didn't really put any manpower, they didn't really put any weaponry. They're just doing what they're doing, and nothing really happened. And U.S. is putting like $40 billion every month or something. Well, on the well they're war. able to do it because they have the world reserve currency so they can continue, you know, increasing the money supply, right? Like, yeah. you know, when it goes through Congress and it says, oh, we need to approve this amount of money going towards our military spending, you know, it just goes through. Uh, there, right. There's no questions asked. When it's on like something else, oh, oh, we're running a deficit. Mm-hmm. What's well, a deficit myth, <laughs> right? So. Yeah. And then once that happens, once U.S. is no longer world reserve currency, well, then they can't continue their large military spending. I mean, this is also, I feel like, a really interesting question of like the idea of fiat currencies in general, because mm-hmm. I feel like fiat currencies enable significant like military spending because yeah. you could just even inflate the currency and put that towards military spending in order to fund wars. If you have hard money, then that doesn't occur because it, you actually have to raise the money from the people mm-hmm. in order to put that towards war. And who wants to fund wars? Right. That's why we've we've had a century of, you know, World War One, World War Two. Like we've had the U.S. spends uh, more in the military than anyone else in the world. Like we've had significant military spending go up over the last hundred years yeah. than you had in previous centuries. I think in general, like, yeah, like a fiat currency obviously enables growth much more than like just like tangible currency because like tangible currency has a scarcity. Fiat currency, I mean, if you can print more and there's an infinite amount theoretically, right? So yeah, like um, that growth can obviously happen and with growth. You know, you obviously like get scared that other countries will grow, so you want to protect yourself. So you start investing in the military more and more. But I think we've got to the point where like there's almost like mutually assured destruction. Doesn't matter which country like really yeah. go for. Like a nuclear weapon is an end all. Doesn't matter if you have one or a hundred, one is enough, right? So right. like I think at this point there has to be a point where we kind of stop investing just in the military because a lot of the big military countries have enough power that. USA is not going to want to go to war with any of them regardless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there has to be a one point where, yeah, like the currency needs to start like slowing down. Like the growths happen, like everyone's like, um, you know, like been able to like, grow strongly. Yeah. That's, there has to be economic slowdown at one point. And I think that's where we should be going towards right now. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, one of the pillars of the economy that's going down or like an empire is going down, it's like, uh, I was talking to someone about this, it's like people no longer believe in the government. They don't hold trust in authorities. Mm-hmm. So, which brings the question about the well, we, we don't really do political stuff, but let's just make an exception. <laughs> there is the last week. There is the Biden papers that got mm-hmm. unveiled. Yeah. I think most people know what is going on. And the question was like, was the Justice Department having double standards raiding Donald Trump's home? Mm-hmm. And uh, on the other hand, they knew that the Biden papers existed well before the midterm election, but they did not really announce anything until this month, mm-hmm. two months after the midterm election. Question to you, Matt, is like, what do you think that entails? Wait, let, let's get into that first, actually. So if I understand correctly, the Donald Trump house was raided, but he, has, he had information about the Biden files. What were actually in the Biden files? Yeah, uh, just to get back to it, uh, it was actually about them having classified information mm-hmm. when they were presidents uh, and for Biden was when he was vice president. So Donald Trump brought classified documents to his Mar-a-Lago house. 
And was this this all had to do with the the Hunter Biden like laptop scandal, like the information that came out of there, or is this separate? I think no, it's no, separate. No. Yeah, this is essentially what happened was the same way, like you know, Trump just took some papers home, like mm-hmm. and the, all all of them labeled confidential, mm-hmm. and like he was like uh like he kept them in his like Marlago basement, locked up. And the same thing with Biden, like he took it. Um, I think they said it was in his office and library, and now in a garage. It is garage. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's just like um some concerning. But yeah, no, I definitely think there was like a a part of hypocrisy in how swift the actions were when it was against like Trump versus mm-hmm. like against Biden. Yeah. And yeah. they knew it before the midterm election, mm-hmm. but they did not say well, anything about it. Well, that was the same thing with the Hunter Biden laptop story, which was they went out to all the social media sites and yeah. said, Hey, you know, like this fake news is coming in, make sure that you censor it. Yep. They censored it. Yeah. And then it turns out to be true. Yeah. And this is coming from the FBI. The FBI is supposed to be apolitical. Yeah. It's not supposed to lean in one direction or another. Right. I mean, yeah. I think that's part of the reason why like people are starting to lose faith in the government because yeah, you're seeing like yeah, like the CIA, FBI, all these are supposed to be like, you know, like independent intelligence associations that just like give information to like whoever's in power. But if you're seeing that like they have political affiliations, it kind of like um throws the whole thing down the windpipe. Like, what is the point of the FBI? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. You're just like yeah. a resource for a Democratic Party then. Yeah, mm-hmm. now people are raising questions about the DOJ, about you know, like whether they're protecting the president and uh, I, I just feel like there's so many things that's like very biased that like you can, as an average citizen, you can see that there is yeah. clear bias, there's clear political leaning, mm-hmm. there's clear things happening behind closed doors, yeah. and people are losing faith in those authority figures. Well, I think we've known for a while that like the majority of the news sites are all biased yeah. towards the left, and that, that's been like evident for a long time. It's actually been very interesting to see oh, Elon Musk kind of take over Twitter, and then kind of unban all these counts that were previously banned that were on the right. But now he's starting to go and ban, like, the people on the left, right? And so, so you have, like, this shift that's happening. But I don't know if he's trying to, like, teach them a lesson or what, what it is, but it's like, can we have unbiased media, for God's sake, or unbiased platforms? Like, yeah. who is bought and paid for in this system? Mm-hmm. I think that was, like, the main, like, spur for why Elon you want by Twitter, right? Like, have discourse mm-hmm. from both sides. Because we kind of got to the point where, just like having an opinion that wasn't like socially accepted was like just wrong. Like you were just like alienated. There wasn't really like that discussion about like why it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So, and if you're not being educated, you're also just pushing yourself away from them too, right? And just creating like bigger and bigger yeah. barriers. Well, well, yeah, to be fair with the Elon thing, like everyone likes to look at an after fact, like, oh, that's why he went in there and that's why he got it. <laughs> I also don't know if it was just like a whim, like, <laughs> like hey, you know, I'm like, yeah. fuck it. I mean, maybe. I, I don't know which one it was with him. <laughs> to be completely honest. Yeah, and I, I think like there are two political systems, obviously, in America and in general. But I feel like the people's losing trust, not just because of one side's doing something yeah. wrong. It's about the system itself. It's like, no matter who's in charge, they're trying to you know, attack the other parts, the other party that people don't believe in them. I think that's why people are losing trust Almost over like, like the system. Yeah. I think like that kind of leads to the point of this whole like a uh, democracy that we have is still not really the same as what like what it could be. Like um, I think there's been this whole like talk about if people go to Mars, what kind of like um, government you want? And it's the people talk about direct democracy. So like, it's not really like a, you elect an official and then he makes the, he or she makes the decisions. It's you make a decision on like, the laws itself and things like that, right? I think like there should be a push towards something closer where we have the choices in terms of like, yeah, the monetary policy on um, things like everything part of what the government does, not really just choosing who goes into government. Yeah. Look at SF, like San Francisco is, mm-hmm. it's a uh, shit show, pretty much. The, the city government, like the city is dirty, it's smelly, it stinks, but no one does anything about it because like one party holds all the power. Right. And I just feel like if you don't have any choices, like you just choose one party, that's not really a democracy. Mm-hmm. Like that's the definition mm-hmm. of democracy. I mean, in China, they have elections too. There's a whole view growing that like democracy is a problem. Because <laughs> essentially, like after a certain amount of time with democracy, the people who are in power realize like once they hold power, then they can put you know things in place that will allow for them to continue to have power and to continue to, to gain the wealth. Mm-hmm. And you'll have like a deterioration of democracy over time, which is why, you know, in the very beginning it, it works and then you have a, a slow deterioration over time. And so is, is that, is that what we're experiencing? Is that what's being experienced in San Francisco? Like why is, why is the people just walking in and like just stealing in broad daylight and they're putting laws in place that's like, oh, you know, if it's a petty crime, like we're not even going to do anything. And that's just like a gross negligence on the part of whoever's in government and, yeah. and SF. So yeah. Incentivize the wrong things for sure, I think. Yeah. And like speaking of that, in general, 
And what ends up happening is like for like companies itself, when you get too big, there's antitrust laws, right? So that you kind of have to like spread out. When it comes to like political parties and like things like that, like when you get too big, nothing really happens. Then you just get more control over like things like that. And then you get like propaganda and you get to be able to like have a strong amount of like information control about like what like majority of the voters itself get yeah. to see. And so as a voter, if you're not informed on like both sides, like I equally, you will kind of already vote for like whatever side seems the best. And mm. if you can control that information, that's I think the biggest concern too. Most people are lemmings, you know. <laughs> Most people yeah. are sheep. Like, you know, if you're watching CNBC, if you're watching CTV, like whatever, like you're being fed the propaganda machine, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think there was a theory for like the Biden papers is like, why did it get unveiled after the midterm election? I think the one theory is that people think he's going to seek re-election. The Democrats think he's going to seek re-election and they want to take him out so that someone else can come in and be the nominee for the 2024 election. Will he be seen enough to run again in 2024? He, I mean, that's the other question. He did say he wants to run. And then there seems like no one wants to stop him. So, like, how did the aides find those papers in the first place? It was all, I'm assuming, Democrats working at the, like, the think tank. His house, his garage, everything. Where I was like, it just, it just creates, like, okay, what's going on in this, like, democracy? You know? Yeah. So, it's a, uh, it is, like, just some political fights. But, like, it's just, like, not transparent. People are just, like, really sick of it, what's happening. Well, also, it's, like, you have two parties in the States and it's like the illusion of choice, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day. You know, and I think we're having like polarization that's occurring like around the world. Like it's happening in the United States. There's lots of stuff happening in Brazil where yeah. you had someone that was elected that was very right leaning. And now you have someone who's very left leaning. And so you seem to have like increased polarization that's occurring yeah. throughout the world. It's like the United States is probably more polarized now than during the Civil War. It's just everyone's, you know, geographically distributed, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, So exactly. Yeah. What's your take on it? No, I think that middle doesn't exist. And that kind of goes to the point of what I was saying a little bit earlier. Like, you start getting alienated the moment you have an opinion that's different from what society accepted. You get more and more, like, ingrained in your own opinion, develop your own mm-hmm. bias more and more. And so even if you were a bit more, like, maybe, like, center, leaning a little bit right, and every time you said your opinion, that was more towards the right side, and like people on the left like pushed you away. Yeah. You're just gonna go more towards the right side. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not gonna be like, oh wait, no, they said I'm dumb, so now I'm like gonna go towards left side. And the same mm-hmm. way for the people on the left against the people on the right. Right. And then like so you just keep going more and more to your side because no one's really having that discussion about like, oh, why uh, what you're saying is actually wrong. It's just like, no, you're dumb for this view or you're evil for this view. Well, it's like no one's seeking out like to understand the other yeah. side, right? So we have echo chambers throughout all of our social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, you, like even okay, like even if like it's just it's just algorithms, right? It's like yeah. hey, a company wants to make money, and so like they want to feed you the the information that you're going to click the most easily that you're already tuned to, and so we're going to put algorithms in place to do that. Well, that's going to end up with echo chambers, and then everyone's going to become polarized, right? It's like yeah, yeah. even if there isn't an agenda at place, the natural element of a company wanting to make money creates algorithms that ends up with everyone echo chamber that it would ends up with everyone polarized <laughs> yeah, exactly i was gonna say i remember like um there was like these like small studies and were like two people like oh, like a very left-leaning person very right-leaning person they would search the same thing up on google and you just see completely different like these articles <laughs> see everything completely different right God, yeah. it's like you live two different worlds even though you guys are, like neighbors yeah, and I'm like, yeah, that's just gonna reconfirm your bias more and more and become a pure echo chamber mm-hmm. where you don't really ever will like even listen to the other side at one point yeah, and, and like the U.S. election or the Canadian election, a few states or provinces actually decided the election outcomes. Especially in the U.S., you can see there's like 50 states. But when it comes down to is the battleground states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, those states are picking the president. Yeah. So, yeah, like, well, I don't get why the electoral college system is still existing. Yeah, yeah, that too. Like, right. Well, wasn't it created to be, to be like, oh, well, you know, if people are dumb, then we need to step in. Like, wasn't that the reason? Yeah. <laughs> I believe so. Like even here, it's the same thing. Canada, it's the same. It's right, like kind of like Ontario, Quebec, kind of plays a big role into the elections, right? Whereas like places with less population doesn't really. So like Justin Trudeau doesn't really care about West Western Canada. Yeah, which is why you had Wexit come in place. Like, oh, you know, we're gonna we in the West are gonna separate from Canada. My gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Western identity, you know? <laughs> yeah. So speaking of that, I think we can go to a related topic. It's open AI mm. and the whole idea of AI having to do with our daily lives now. Things that come up like Matt, do you want to give us a brief introduction about the controversy that spilled recently? Oh, I think there was like some controversy. So um, disclaimer, I've been using like ChatGPT a bunch, like so useful for programming. Like, <laughs> but like, but like, there's, I think there's also like a, it's a weird thing because you've got, you know, typically 
I, I've been thinking to myself, like, wow, this, this basically replaces Google for your average programmer, from people writing essays. But it's a weird thing because, like, okay, okay if you use something like Google or, you know, search, hopefully you're using a privacy search engine, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you're using Google or another search engine, like, you're going, they're just indexing the sites and then you're given a link that goes to that site and, and that site is able to profit, whether off ads or mm-hmm. subscription yeah. or whatever. Well, now you can just go to ChatGPT and ask it a question. It summarizes all the information and gives no citations or no kind of reference to the original work that it was based off of, that it was trained on. And so you kind of have this, you know, right now it's fine because it's free. But as soon as they start to try to commercialize it, I think they're going to run into legal problems where it's going to be this violates the fair use policy. um, And this kind of creates a derivation of the original work without actually kind of giving reference to the original thing. But the question there is, how do you even give reference to the original source? Like, okay, well, you have... This ML algorithm that's being created that has, you know, one trillion kind of points of reference that it's using right. and, you know, some are used more than others. So what is it supposed to output the top 10? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts? So no, I just think it's the fact that OpenAI can basically create a whole Wikipedia article on anything you search up within like seconds. Like it becomes really concerning for any um, one company that actually spent time making that data. I think the biggest problem is going to be. What exactly does like uh, like they define AI as? Because theoretically, any one of us could go. We could do the research. We could write like an essay, right? If the fact that AI can do it within like seconds, okay, right? Mm. It's gonna be concerning to see um where do we kind of draw that line? And that's just what I'm like kind of like interested to see like what like the policyholders will kind of take that to draw draw which line? Like for example, it's like um what is considered like something like if we were to make a blog post, even if it's like commercial, mm. but then like we use uh, like we reference Yelp, right? Like, that's fine because, like, we just did that work ourselves. But AI can do that within, like, milliseconds, seconds, right? So, like, are they allowed to do that just because, like, um, the speed at which they can do it? And, like, how do you define AI? Like, and that's just, like, what I'm kind of... Well, it's bizarre, too, because it's a black box. Yeah. Right? So, it's like, oh, well, I guess you can probably, like, output, like, okay, well, like, you were kind of the, you know, we have, you have a trillion, like, data points that's trained on, and then these points were slightly higher. So, you can probably output that. But at the end of the day, like, oh, why did it output like this? I don't know. No one has any idea. <laughs> right? It's just, exactly. just a black box at the end of the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the weird thing I found, too, is like the recent things that are going on with ChatGPT where they're starting to train it to be like more left-leaning, for example, which I find bizarre. Like, you know, you'll ask you a question like, oh, can you tell me a joke about a man? And then it'll go and open it. And then, oh, can you tell me a joke about a woman? It's like, oh, sorry, I cannot do like hate speech or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, that's bizarre, right? So they're, they're making it like politically leaning now, like to be able to have the right like political responses, essentially, that's which great. I find very strange. Yeah, yeah that's very interesting. That's very strange. <laughs> I did not know that at all. Yeah. That's very weird. That's weird. Like, I, coming back to like the citation problem, like, Shouldn't it actually let people know how it's trained if it's going to be a commercial product? And isn't it going through every page? And how is it being trained, Matt? Like, is it just going through Google and going through every pages or is it going through every book and just read it? Oh, well, they, they did a whole process for this. Like, my understanding was, like, they actually, so they had, uh, what was the original one? It was an o- open GPL or something. I, I can't remember what, what the original one was. But, but they basically took this initial, like, learning model that they had. Okay. And then they created one. They created a new model that was able to determine if a response was good or bad, basically. Okay. So they had people actually go in there and say, oh, this response is good. This response is bad. This one's good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Right. And they created a model that was able to actually kind of determine whether a response was a good one. And then what they did is they took the original model and they trained it against the model that was able to determine if it was good or bad. Okay. And then they, you know, they go and do this a hundred thousand times, a million times, mm-hmm. and then they improve this model over here. Yeah. So that's how they originally trained it. I remember when ChatGPT first came out, at least in my inclination, I didn't get the sense that it was like politically biased. And then people started posting stuff on Twitter saying, oh, you know, like the same joke that, oh, yeah, do a joke about a man, do a joke about a woman, and it would come out, right? And, you know, it was funny, whatever. And then I, I think there were some responses like online that were like, oh, wow, like, oh, it can't be saying stuff like this, you know, <laughs> right? And then later on, like the, the responses started being censored, or I think they started training it again okay. to basically be the correct, you know, politically correct, essentially, okay, is, well, was, was it that happened after. So they started training it on, on that. I'm not sure how they did that last step. That just seems like an engineering feat, just being able to make AI mm-hmm. like leading towards the same side. Yeah. That's crazy. You guys know the CEO of OpenAI, like Sam Altman. He's like, he was like the um, he was head of like CEO of like YC Y Combinator for a while. A lot of people have said he's absolute like like genius of a guy, very very smart. He's going to have to figure out these legal things, but incredibly smart guy that's kind of you know in, in charge of this and putting this forward. And obviously a, a great great you know improvement in just 
yeah. humanity to be able to have these tools to improve our cognition. But uh, I think that the questions need to be asked like, okay, well, this is a black box at the end of the day. And so which way is it going to lean? And is, you know, is, is that going to be a problem in terms of like how it's actually training, like training, like we're training the AI, but you know, at a certain point when you start asking responses, it's training you. And so <laughs> that's, 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 that's some of the questions that we need to be asking. So. That's very true. That's very true. So where do you see like AI coming from here? I don't know. They need to figure out the legal stuff, number one. And like, how are they going to commercialize it? I, I thought it was really interesting that like Microsoft is so invested and now they're looking at using it in Bing, for example. Uh-huh. So yeah. like maybe for the first time we have kind of the, the security of Google being questioned in yeah. terms of the top dog. And then it, se- it seems like it's going to start being integrated into all these different tools like Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, like all over the place. That would be insane. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be, <laughs> be huge. Yeah. Um, so Mike, Microsoft, I think, is going to have like a huge benefit hugely from this. And maybe that's how it ends up becoming more commercial. Like it's not directly used, but it's kind of indirectly used. And that's how they get around the legal problems and the commercial use mm-hmm. cases. What I hope is that like legal doesn't just like shut it down because I do, I do think it's a great tool, right? Yeah. I do think it's like really, it's really useful. Like, like there's going to be programmers that are using, you know, AI and there's going to be programmers that are not, and there's going to be a massive difference between the two. And yes, you're still, you're going to need to be able to read the code and you're going to need to understand it and make sure that everything's proper and you're going to need to look over every line. But if you can just write that faster, I think that's a huge improvement in the amount of time it takes to yeah. build certain things. You're going to require less people on your team to do more things. Yeah. And you can have teams that are that are smaller that are outputting more. And I think that's a huge improvement. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's my two cents. What, what are your thoughts, George? I think next step for AI is going to be about, like, now we've proven the abilities here. I think next steps we want to prove, like, if it's going to be viable. It, like, is it going to be, like, here with us long term? Is it going to have morals? Is it going to be influenced by the West? Is it going to be influenced by China, Russia? Or are, we, are each country going to have their own AIs? Like, what is AI supposed to do? Is it, is it going to behave like a human, talk like a human, like ChatGPT? Or is it going to be somewhere else? Or is it going to be some other forms? I think now it's a time we finally figure out, okay, now it's working. And now we're bringing it to the next steps of commercialization and then really being part of our day-to-day lives. Mm. I just wonder how they're going to be able to just commercialize. Almost like, not even just like ChatGPT. Like, there's a lot of like uh, smaller like AIs that do like very niche things, right? Majority of them, there isn't really a good business model to be able to like commercialize it mm-hmm. because like majority, the reason why people use it so much is that the free use part, right? Yeah. And then like, it kind of like begs the question, like if you don't get like the right business model behind it, it might just become a fad too, right? Like we saw VR was supposed to be just like the next big thing for sure, <laughs> right. right? Maybe yeah. metaverse, whatever. Like there's a lot of like those things that if you don't put the right uh, framework and business model behind it might be a thing of the past. Well, I think there's ones that already have a very nice business model. Like I think a good example of that is like GitHub Copilot. So it allows for programmers, it's like a plugin you can install, say like VS Code into your, into your editor, and then it will like suggest code to you, okay. right? So, you know, you're writing your code and then you start writing the function, determine the, the time at X date or whatever. And then it, it does a suggestion, it suggests the entire function. Right, and you and you press tab. Right, that's it. And so, and then, and then GitHub just charges for that. They charge like a monthly fee. And so it's like, oh, that's a pretty good model actually, because you you know you you've got programmers that are, this is massively improving their efficiency, and you know they keep learning from what programmers are inputting into this thing, mm-hmm. and they're able you know to make a month monthly fee from it. So I think that's like a very elegant model. So we're gonna see like some of these new like business models come to light. Maybe there's gonna be a similar thing that's built into like Microsoft Word, where like you know if you're a newspaper journalist or whatever and you're an academic and you're writing essays and you're able to just pay like a monthly fee and then it's auto, you know, automatically able to suggest to you like different pieces of that you know maybe that's where we see it going into some type of subscription model yeah i think the subscription model is the only like uh like viability of it but like the place where i get like has a concern is like we were talking like the legality of like a lot of these places about yeah. who owns the data right like when spotify came out like for like music right there's a limited library for like all songs and you can license it for like every view, like a specific amount of yeah. like, you know, like a royalty essentially, yeah. Yeah. right? Like, um, are you going to have that for like trillions of data sets? Like, um, or like give like a small royalty to that much bigger of a component? Like Spotify still only have like a few million or like, um, I don't know how many songs they probably have, but like, um, like a much smaller data set for, right? So like, there's like a place that other people are incentivized to go on there. Hmm. Like Craigslist has been really famous for like, oh, never wanting to put anything on, um, like, you know, like uh, being like, be able to crawl through it. So like a lot of companies, yeah. like, like a lot of websites that have their own data might then just kind of want to block um, like the overall AI from being able to go right. into that. Right. Right? So like 
that's kind of like where like my concern is for like that business model because the place where like they're feeding all the information from is not owned by them. Like a company like Facebook, they own their own data, right? Like they would be good with like Twitter, but yeah. then like some like OpenAI, Microsoft owns just like Microsoft stuff could like kind of be good, but Google probably is going to want to block anything from OpenAI to go for anything Google has. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of like the concern I would have for the business model. Mm, yeah, well, well, how are they blocking it though? Like, because you like, okay, it used to be back in the day, if you wanted your website to be scraped, you'd put like a a certain type of file on there, yeah, like so a not or whatever. Yeah, and then and then it would would or would not scrape it. And there's different like tactics you could do to be able to stop scraping a particular site, mm. but most of those can kind of be overcome. What, what are you trying to set up? You're trying to set up a site that can't be scraped by a bot, but can be viewed by a human. Yeah. I don't even think it has to go to that. Like, um, just in general, like if it ends up using it, just go to the courts. Like, um, that's kind of where it is. Like the moment, like at one point, Chad GP yeah. is going to have to make money or like any AIs are going to have to make right. money, right? That's what the Bismarck has to go. Like at one point, there has to be like money that comes out of it. You can't just prove a concept. And at that point, when you start making money, people are going to look to sue you if like um they're not mm-hmm. getting yeah. like uh, incentive exactly. for their work. Honestly, I hope it doesn't go there. Like I hope like legally, you know, this is just like viewed as a new thing. And like you can train open AI models on anything that's on the internet mm-hmm. because like if it ends up to that point where it's like, oh, they need to pay royalties to like every like input that goes exactly. into the AI, yeah. that's going to kill the damn thing. Yeah. And then like this really useful tool is just going to be killed off before. But I think, I think what they did was really smart in the beginning. Like they're burning $3 million a day, mm-hmm. right? Running this thing and the amount of GPU power they need. And they just put it out there to, to show the world the like capabilities of this. And everyone's like, well, shit, man, like, I need this, you know, <laughs> right? Like, that was the way, that was the way to go and make it free and then figure out what you're going to do later because then everyone, if, you, if they were just in the beginning, like, oh, you know, like, we're going to start commercializing from the beginning, no one would have realized how powerful it was and how useful it was. Yeah. And they, they might have, the more likely cases, it might have ended up in the courts and then it would have been shut down before it even got started. So yeah. I really hope that doesn't happen because I think this is just like, really useful things. If you can have humans that, okay, everyone's going to make the argument, oh, that people don't need to think. But it's, it's like, it's, it's just tools, right? It's, it's not like, oh, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? It is. And so, you know, what, what, is, what does that mean for you? And that, that just means like, there's going to be the people who use this tool to be able to do incredible things. Yeah. And there's, there's going to be people who decide not to learn and just rely on ChatGPT. And that, that's going to be the reality. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that's a great end segment uh, mm-hmm. to the show. I think we, I've discussed so many things. It's great in person yeah. for the podcast. I have to say it's like a phenomenon. How do you how do you feel about it, Sam? Yeah, I really like it. It's a lot more like fluid everyone being able to like see people's reactions, like the <laughs> movements, everything like that. It's a lot nicer for sure. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, I meant to that. You can't can't beat in person, you know. <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah. So thank you for our listeners for listening to the show. If you have feedback, you can reach us on the description site for the for the episode. And we'll see you next week.